Our first reading this morning is taken from the book of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, uh, the 31st chapter, beginning with the second verse. So listen to what the Spirit is saying and to the church. Thus, says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit, for there shall be a day when sentinels will call on the hill country of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading from God's word today is taken from Matthew's gospel, Matthew's Easter story, the 28th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. The word of the Lord. So grateful to all the worship leaders musicians and readers, some doing double duty, even our very busy youth director, Garrett. Wednesday nights, middle schoolers every week. Um, he's awesome to advertise. Uh, and we do fill the place up sometimes. It's awesome. It's great. Uh, it's such a beautiful day. It's a privilege to be here to try to put words to what we all experience in life, especially after the years, the most recent years we've all been through. can't tell you how grateful I am and this whole church is that we're here together. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together today upon your word be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. 
I'm not really a nervous or fearful person. Um, sometimes people who know me, especially people I'm married to, tell me I uh, could probably be a little bit more careful or cautious. Um, but there are a few things I'm afraid of that I really, really, um, well, I'm scared of. The first thing that upsets me greatly, disturbs me deep in my core, is lima beans. Uh, don't understand the purpose. Butter beans are the same. It's like eating sand. I don't get it. Um, another, which I just experienced with my daughter Maggie a few weeks ago in a very, very scary attempt to land an airplane. I don't like turbulence. It scares me. And recently we were flying into San Jose. We were about 30 yards, I'd say, off the... We were, I was sweating. We were, it was, I was scared. And the pilot, thankfully, just decided, you know what? And he went straight up. I felt like Tom Cruise. And we went from San Jose to Fresno. I had to be in, well, somewhere near San Jose. And, and I just, I'm like, I'm not getting back on that plane. I rented a car and we drove. I'm not doing it. Which is strange for the son of a career pilot, but that's it. I don't like lima beans. I don't like turbulence. And the third thing that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies is corn mazes. <laughs> or any kind of maze. But, you know, when you're a parent, you take your kids to those corn mazes. What is that? You pay money to get confused and scared and to realize you're not that bright and to go around in circles. If you had to choose between going through a door or going into a maze and being lost and not knowing how to get out, which would you choose? I'm going to go with the door, says Monty Hall. That's for certain people of a certain age. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about, right? Uh, never mind. Carol Merrill, ring any bells? No? Okay. Thank you. All right. Easter is about walking through doors, going forward into life, into abundant life. Not just eternal life later, but now, abundant life. But we pick the maze almost every time, don't we? Here's what I mean. How many of you have seen that documentary that the comic actor Jonah Hill made called Stutz. Anybody seen that? Hands up. Here we go. It's fascinating. I, I, you know, I didn't love it overall, but it's about his relationship with, and they filmed his conversations with his therapist, with his psychiatrist, a psychiatrist to the stars, Dr. Phil Stutz in Los Angeles. And though there's a lot of stuff that I didn't really think was that relevant, one of the lines that Dr. Stutz said to Jonah Hill um, stuck with me because Stutz always talked about in this documentary how imperative it is for us as human beings to live forward in our lives. It seems obvious that we don't do it too much. So here's what Stutz says in the documentary to Jonah Hill. I don't know if this third thing I'm gonna, word I'm going to use is actually a word, but this is what he said. You know, perseverating negatively about the past, especially in terms of our resentments, about what other people did to us keeps us stuck in a maze, he said. And being in that maze keeps us from moving forward. And it's difficult to leave the maze because our egos demand fairness. And since it is the past, usually there is no resolution to be had. There is no adjudicatory process available to us. And even if there were, what are the odds that the people we resent would tell the exact same story we tell about how horrible they were to us. 
Then he says this to Jonah Hill. Your quest for fairness puts your life on hold and prevents forward motion. This Jewish doctor talking to a Jewish patient helped me understand the Easter story, especially as written by Matthew, who we Bible nerds know is the most Jewish of the gospel writers. Matthew is obsessed with proving to his own people that the Messiah has come and is risen. Easter is the triumph, Matthew and the other gospel writers tell us, of love over death, of hope over despair. Easter isn't, Matthew says, about looking back. And it isn't about figuring it all out, understanding it, and it isn't about balancing the scales. Easter is about leaving the past behind and going forward into the life you were meant to live, created by whatever we call God to live. And Easter tells us it can happen to you. It can. Here's what I mean. When I first went to seminary 30, 20 years ago, um, moved from Seattle where I made a lot more money than I, well, until I did it about five years ago. Uh, I worked for Microsoft back when, I don't know, I just did. And uh, I quit to go to seminary. My father's like, what are you doing? The one reason I went to seminary and to the seminary I went to in New York City, Union Theological Seminary, is there are a lot of very famous, amazing professors, scholars, people of faith there. Also a lot of people of different perspectives, different traditions, and I needed that. One of the professors was and still is considered one of the greatest preachers on earth. Once Time Magazine named James Forbes, Dr. James Forbes, uh, one of the ten best preachers in the world. Not in the United States, not in the Protestant-speaking world, in, on the whole earth. And Jim Forbes said in a class that I finally got into my last year in seminary, something that I didn't expect Mr. Sermon making to say. I thought he was going to talk about how he prays or our preparation or maybe about how to deliver with dynamism like he does. None of us could really do that. But here's what he said to us first. He said, when you're choosing a text to preach, preach on what bothers you most. Because that's where the juice is. That's where the energy is. And believe me, you're going to need that energy on late Saturday night when your questions and your doubts and your distractions are taking over. You're going to need that juice, that energy to fuel you because if there's one person who shouldn't be bored during a sermon, it's the preacher. <laughs> and sometimes, i got to tell you, you're like, who wrote this? Oh, I did. Here's what bothers me about Matthew's version of Easter, because I was taught, especially when it came to religion, to be proper and kind of reserved and not to, not to, you know, not too much flash or frills. Matthew's version is a little dramatic or over dramatic. Anybody have a friend who's all drama all the time, or a family member, a teenager, for example? Listen. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, suddenly the focus of worship in the Judeo-Christian tradition shifts from Saturday to Sunday. Mary Magdalene, close with Jesus, went to look at the tomb with the other Mary. There are so many Marys in the New Testament, we don't know which one. And then an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. However that works, only Matthew tells us that. And there were two guys in Dazzle, there, there was a guy 
that this, this earthquake angel comes down and the, and the earth is shaking and the, everything's loud and crazy. And then this one angel who's come down from heaven takes this giant stone and rolls it away. And as he does, and as the earth is shaking, the two guards posted there to make sure the body would not be stolen become like dead men, Matthew says. And the angel then says to the women, do not be afraid. In other words, don't worry about the earthquake. Don't worry about me just coming down from heaven. Don't worry about these guys who are, were alive a second ago now being dead or at least stiff, right? Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus. Fascinating. Because I know is why you shouldn't be afraid. Because I know you're looking for Jesus, you're good. You're fine. Too much drama. Yeah. Which is why I have to preach on it, because of what my professor said. Matthew's version of Easter is loud and chaotic, and at the same time, kind of real. Kind of like life is, especially recently. I remember about six, seven years ago, as I was sort of hitting full, full tilt middle age, I thought to myself, life's getting kind of routine and boring. I, should, I could sure use some excitement. I'd like to go back now <laughs> to 2015 or so, and I love boring compared to what we've been through lately. In Matthew's version of Easter, it's loud, it's chaotic, everybody's confused, everybody's asking themselves, should I be scared? Should I be overjoyed? What is going on here? What is happening? And I do think life, no matter what or when we're talking about, is a lot like that. The big moments, certainly. And to that question, what is going on here? And to that question, that experience that we sometimes feel chaotically happening within us and or around us, Jesus responds today with the words, don't be afraid. I know the voice of God says to us through the angel, I know you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And as I analyze this story in this text, and as I sit with it and dig into it and pray about it, my sense, as always in Scripture, is that the women get it. The men, not so much. The women understand in that moment that Easter doesn't happen unless we're looking and searching and expecting something. Easter will not happen for you or for me unless we are wondering. It's about letting wonder back into our lives. I listen to NPR a lot when I'm driving up and down Montclair 16 times a day. I live down there. I work up here. So I listen to the various awesomely named NPR correspondents. One of my favorites is Manoush Zamarodi. And Manoush Zamarodi uh, recently uh, interviewed a woman by the name of Tanya Lunya, who um, was born just outside of Chernobyl, and it was about six months old or something when that nuclear accident happened those years ago. And then the family eventually emigrated to the United States. And after a lot of hardship, a lot of poverty early on, now at least Tanya Luna, Luna is uh, having TED Talks left and right and is quite an interesting person. Here's what Tanya Luna said when Manoush Zamarodi, which I love saying, uh, interviewed her. Tanya Luna said, 
It's almost like we're living in this world full of these like secret hidden doors into other worlds, other possibilities, and most of us just walk down that hallway and never peek into any of those doors. So start opening those little doors and see what happens. Zamarodi, ever the good journalist, says, I do want to ask you though, Tanya, I mean, I've been on the receiving end of an unlucky surprise, a phone call that I got. It was a woman who said, I'm with your husband. He's been in a terrible bike accident. And when you have a nasty surprise like that, as you did in your childhood more than once, it can be really hard for some people to bounce back. And Lunia says, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Because our bodies, our brains protect ourselves in those moments of danger or of injury. And that's good, but sometimes... It's just a matter of checking back in with your body after a while and saying, is that protection still serving me? Or is that protection now actually holding me contained? Like a maze, sort of running in circles or wandering around trying to go somewhere but going nowhere. There is something at stake at Easter that's more than just an awesome meal and for me, a nap really something big at stake. There's a story of two garment workers on the Lower East Side of Manhattan in the early part of last century. One was a cutter and one was a stitcher. They worked for years and years and years together. Back-breaking, terrible, repetitive work. Side by side, they'd become friends. And one day, well into their careers as uh, cutting and stitching, they were talking together about vacations while they were working. And one said he was looking forward to his vacation, but the other said he was not going on a vacation this year. And the other, his friend said, well, why? And the first guy says, well, last year I went to Africa and I went elephant hunting. And the other guy goes, okay, did you get any elephants? And the guy said, no, an elephant got me. He charged me, but my gun was jammed and I was killed. His friend, a little stunned and confused, said, what are you talking about? You was killed. You ain't dead. You're right here. You're living. And the other guy looks down at his scissors, looks at the little chair he's been sitting on for 40 years, and he said, you call this living? <laughs> That's what's at stake, right? There's biological living and existing, and there's abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I came not so they could go to heaven one day. I came that they might have life now and life abundantly. It's important because you can be alive but not be living. I know because I just know this from experience, a lot of experience, earlier this week, maybe just a few days ago, maybe yesterday, maybe just this morning, somebody received terrible news from a doctor, from a lab. Somebody. Maybe somebody here today. Someone else heard the words, I don't love you anymore. Earlier this week, Maybe just a few minutes ago, someone's hope was crucified. Or finances fell apart, a relationship strained or broken, and the shadows and the permanence when something like that happens to us seem overwhelming. And a lot of us do look around at our lives and say, you call this living? Well, I'm here to tell you that the answer to that question is, Yes, a resounding yes. Matthew and the other three gospel writers as well are saying it's not over. 
You have a chance. There's a door waiting for you. Just step out of the maze. There's resurrected life and there's just life. And we are a resurrected people this morning, right now. Not because of what some church ledger says about us, but because of what's going on in our story, in our lives, in our hearts. And Easter is the door to the life you were meant to live. I don't mean a Presbyterian life or even a Christian life necessarily. I mean a life with the creator who made you, who needs to be in your life so you can stay plugged in to your power source, your juice. And so I'm saying that the ending of the Christ story in the New Testament is really just the beginning. We've got to be willing to trust that, that promise, that invitation, the words that that angel said, do not be afraid. Because we're not alone. We know it, we feel it, we experience it. We're not alone because he is risen. He is risen indeed.